I invite you to hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Good morning, church. I want to take just a minute to explain this mountaintop series that we've been doing off and on for five weeks now. Last week, we kind of took off uh, just a little bit of time to, to talk about one of the processes that we do in our church. We, we're in the middle of this elder deacon process where, where everybody in the church is given the chance to nominate the people that they believe are most fitting to serve in those capacities. And we have nomination forms that are in, in the fellowship hall that, that you're all um, welcome to take and fill out, and, and the process goes through October 23rd. That being said, that was last week, and this week we're getting back to uh, the Mountaintop series. A few weeks ago, Patrick was talking about this incredible relationship that God had with Moses and, and the way that there was give and take in this relationship. The next week, Todd talked about his story, and he tied it into this story of Joseph and how even, even when things were going terribly wrong, God was still faithful. God was there. A couple weeks ago, Patrick talked about how God was not quite done with Elijah after Mount Carmel when this, when this fire from heaven comes down and envelops this, this incredible uh, moment where, where God's power is just made manifest in such a huge way. And then God shows up just a little bit later in this silence. And in both cases, God was not done with Elijah. The, the experience was not the end of God's relationship there. And then last week, we talked about how love is sacrifice. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the transfiguration, that passage that we just read through, the passage that we're talking about. And and in our scripture this morning, we see Moses and Elijah once again, but this time with Jesus. So the way I want to do this this morning, I I just want to spend time in the scriptures. I want to walk through this, and, and if you'll indulge me this morning, we're going to see exactly what this scripture is telling us. So let's begin. Matthew 17, verse 1. If you have a Bible, just stay there. It's going to be good. Matthew 17, 1. Six days later. Now when you read six days later, what's your initial thought? It can be rhetorical or it doesn't have to be. What's your initial thought? What happened six days earlier? Right? If you read six days later, I want to know six days after what? When I'm reading this and I see this, I have to know the context. And so six days after, Jesus had just given some very difficult teachings. 
In Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 20, he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he asks them, who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes in, oh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, that is who I am, which is a huge moment in the scriptures. After this, he told his disciples that he must suffer, die, and be raised. Okay, so you're the one that we're waiting for, and now you're going to die. That's brilliant. I I like this. Then immediately following that, he told his disciples that if they want to follow him, what they must do is deny themselves and take up their crosses. Now, this is before Jesus has died on the cross, so that language would have been really revolting. We have to pick up our crosses. What are you even talking about? How does that make sense? And then finally, he told some of his disciples that they will see him in his glory. If you had been told those things... If you can put yourself in their situation, I would imagine that we would be thinking, that's a lot to deal with. Okay, so you're the guy. You're soon going to die. We're going to see your glory, which is a good thing. But if we want to, we have to deny ourselves and take up our crosses. Awesome. And it's in the midst of this that Jesus says, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. It's reminiscent of when Moses went up the mountain the first time. He didn't go up by himself. That's, that's often what I think, but that's actually the second time. First time when Moses goes up the mountain, he takes with him Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. And so they're walking up this mountain, and they go to a certain spot, and voila! Jesus is transfigured. He is transfigured before them. Now let me ask you this. How often do you use the word transfigured when you speak each day? You don't hear this. You don't hear it on commercials. You don't hear it on TV. You don't hear it on the radio. You don't hear it in regular day-to-day conversation. You hear transfigured when you're talking about the transfiguration. But transfigured is not a difficult word. It's actually pretty common. Transfigured simply means transformed, okay? It's the same exact word. It comes from this Greek word that that means metamorphosis. So if you know butterflies, caterpillars become butterflies. If you know Franz Kafka, you know, he, he wrote a book called Metamorphosis. So like six people understand that reference. That's for you guys. That's that's for free. Yeah. This metamorphosis is this, this deep change from one level to something else. And this word transformed actually has some Christian principles that we should pick up on. Um, it matters to us because of some key passages in the New Testament. In Romans 12, 2, Paul tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's a passage that matters to us because we know that this is what we're called to. We're called to being transformed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul's writing again, And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Not only are we to transform our minds, but God is actively transforming us. This transfiguration, this word transformed, matters. Jesus is being shown for what he truly is. 
for what he was meant to do. The glory of God is dwelling in him. And do you remember what happens to Moses when he sees the glory of God? When Moses gets up and he says, God, show me your glory, and God obliges, do you remember what happens to Moses in that process? His face gets very bright. They, uh, the elders actually come to him because he's scaring people because his face is too bright. Cover your face, Moses. This is weird. They see Jesus. And here, Jesus' face shone like the sun. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became dazzling white. Something that we'll see later in this book when the angel appears. This is an interesting place where Moses, his his face shines because of being in the presence of God. Jesus' face shines like the sun because he is God. So, Moses and Elijah are then seen talking to Jesus. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. This is a strange place. This, this story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and so I want to I pick up where it's told in Luke, what, what Moses and Elijah are doing. Luke chapter 9, verses 30 and 31. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. First, it's impressive that they know who Moses and Elijah are. Like, immediately they see these guys. Oh, that's Moses. That's Elijah, clearly. Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure. Speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, there's something ironic about Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus about his death. Moses was 120 years old when he died. In Genesis 6, it's told that the length of the lifespan of human being is to be 120 years old. And when Moses turns 120, all of a sudden he has to find a successor because it's time for him to die. That's what they do. Moses lives a long, full life. But it's even more ironic that Elijah is talking to Jesus about his death because how did Elijah die? He didn't. He didn't die. It's a strange story. And in this passage, Moses and Elijah are here talking to Jesus about his death. But it has to do with what Jesus' death represents. Moses represents the law. He was the lawgiver, the symbolic voice of God for the people. When the people needed to know what are we to do, Moses provides those answers. Elijah represents the prophets. Here is Jesus standing between Moses and Elijah, having this conversation, transfigured, his face shining like the sun, representing and being the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Church, can you imagine the privilege of being Peter, James, or John and just being there? You are in the presence of God. And between him are two figures who have never been been seen together in society. Moses and Elijah are never together. They don't overlap. Their stories are thousands of years apart. There's this huge, intense moment. And that's when Peter decides to talk. Peter's that friend who has to say something. And I have a friend like this who lives in Lubbock. This this friend's great. uh, Because no matter what type of situation we're in, if somebody's going to get mad at somebody, they'll get mad at him. So I don't say anything in those situations. He says a lot. 
Peter's that guy. And he has this track record. Back in Matthew 14, Jesus is walking on the water and all of the apostles are just terrified because they're in the boat and they don't see anything. And Peter says, oh yeah, if you're Jesus, tell me to come walk on the water. And Jesus does and Peter walks on the water. And then he starts to drown. But that's beside the point. He's the one that speaks up. In Matthew 16, the verse that we were just talking about a few minutes ago, Jesus asks his apostles, who do you say that I am? And Peter's the one that speaks up. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. After that, Jesus is teaching them that he must suffer and die. And Peter rebukes Jesus, which is not the smartest thing to do. Rebuking God seems foolish. But he says, God forbid it, Lord. That must never happen to you. To which Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block. Peter is this guy who has this tremendous track record of always being the one to pipe in, to speak up. And so it shouldn't be any surprise to us that Peter is the one to speak up here. And Peter's first words, they they amuse me. He says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Doesn't that feel like an understatement? Like you are seeing God in his glory And it is good for us to be here. I thought of three different scenarios where I would have said the same thing. And they don't nearly amount to what they went through. But the three scenarios in my mind. When I was seven years old, I I wish I would have been a spectator at Super Bowl XXVIII. And Phil's probably the only person in here that remembers that particular Super Bowl. But it was a good one. I was seven years old, and I, I vividly remember watching this. We were at, at this couple's house in Texas, and I was the only child that was watching. I can't imagine. But I was watching this when it was the Cowboys versus the Bills, part two. Cowboys were losing at halftime. The Bills thought they had this game in the bag. It was tremendous. The Bills were in their fourth consecutive Super Bowl. They had lost the first three. People made fun of them for making it to this fourth one, and they had the lead 13 to 7 at halftime. And then Emmett Smith came back at halftime, and they trounced them in the second half. It was the most glorious thing I had seen in my seven years. <laughs> if I would have been there, I guarantee you, I, this phrase would have come out of my mouth it is good for us to be here. I would have said it. Maybe you're not into that sport. Maybe you like the Olympics, though. Everybody likes the Olympics. We're going to pretend so, at least. 2008, it happened in Beijing. There was this young up-and-comer from the United States named Michael Phelps who had, who had a really good 2004, but, but 2008 was supposed to be his year. But in his way was this Australian guy named Ian Thorpe. And he had the greatest nickname for any uh, swimmer at the time. He was the Thorpedo. Right, yeah, yeah. So you wanted this to go down. You wanted it to be neck and neck. But you wanted America to come out on top. And it was a battle of these heavyweights. And America ended up prevailing. And I think any of us, if we would have been there, we would have said, it is good for us to be here. What about your child's wedding? You probably thought something similar to this. What about when you were baptizing your children? It's a sweet moment. You know it's good to be here. 
What about when the food is the best food that you've had in years, which is really just an opportunity for me to say, hey, stay after church. We're having our 40th year celebration. This church has been in existence 40 years. It's going to be great food, all the hot dish that you can handle. And so stay after and enjoy. What about when you're with a friend who's receiving a well-deserved reward? And you can see the joy on their face and the pride that you have in them. All of these times, it would be appropriate to say, it is good for us to be here. But Peter's scenario is in a whole different universe. It's just completely different. Moses is the foundation of the religious community to which you have belonged since you were born. Moses is the most important figure, aside from God, in the history of this group. And you recognize him. Elijah is this tremendous prophet who's he is revered above all other prophets, and he's present, and you recognize him. In fact, you've been waiting for him, which is the conversation that happens after this. And Jesus, your rabbi, your friend, the guy that you followed around for the last three years, is standing between them, completely transfigured, and you pipe in, it is good for us to be here does not seem adequate to what's going on. And then Peter keeps going, as any brilliant person would. He says, if you wish, which is a courtesy, like if you wish, we know that you're in charge here, so if you wish, Jesus, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, I know it's dangerous to say this, but I think we should consider for a moment, if you were Jesus, okay, So, if you were Jesus in this situation, what would you be thinking? I am showing you my glory, and you won't shut your mouth. But Jesus, Jesus is very kind here. God, on the other hand, intervenes. God the Father intervenes, and this is one of my favorite parts of this story, while Peter was still speaking. (laughs) While Peter was still speaking, God pipes in. Suddenly, a bright cloud overshadowed them. When you see that, by the way, a bright cloud overshadowed, bright and shadow, this is one of those moments where words do not do justice to what is going on. It's not a translation issue. It is a God moment where you just can't describe how magnificent this is. And from that cloud, a voice said, this is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When we hear that, we might be thinking that they probably had heard this before. This is the words besides listen to him that had been uttered at Jesus' baptism. But Jesus' baptism actually happens before they are called. Just as that moment began, Just as they had seen Jesus and Moses and Elijah and had been enveloped in this clouds, the disciples heard it, they fell to the ground, they were overcome by fear. And immediately Jesus walks over and touches them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Just as soon as the moment had begun, It was over. 
As I worked through this passage the last couple weeks, I've discovered that there's a lot in there. It's not an insignificant passage. It matters a lot to the story of God. And there are these little nuances here and there that are well worth the study. So I invite you, just look into this. It's a lot of fun. But I was thinking about us as a church and where this story might intersect with our lives. Because it's great to say, oh, this happened and that was, it must have been wonderful and then move on. But, but I think this does hit us. And I began to think about these three guys who had this epic experience. You know, years later, as they were reflecting on this, I think they probably would have come to this realization. That the God that they encountered on the mountain had been with them all along. The God that they went up on the mountain to encounter had been with them all along. Moses' face glowed because he was in the presence of God, but Jesus' face shone like the sun because he is God. In Colossians 1.19, Paul is thinking through this, and he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. They were dealing with God. And I think Peter, James, and John eventually understood that, they, that the God that they encountered on the top of the mountain had walked up the mountain with them, and climbed down the mountain with them afterwards because God and Jesus Christ was always with them. Church, this is my prayer. I hope that we have transcendent moments of God's undeniable presence in our life. I hope that we have these mountaintop moments where God is so present we can't, we can't even express what's going on. I hope that we encounter God just as Moses and Elijah did in these indescribable ways. I hope that we have miraculous moments of healing. I hope that we see the opportunities to serve that God has given us and we experience God's presence so fully as we serve, we don't know how to understand it. I hope that we have these moments where we are so close to God that we sense that He is speaking directly to us. I hope that when we are at our lowest, God shows up in the silence to bring us back. But church, as I say that, I want to double down on this. Never forget, God is always present. We know how the rest of this story goes. The rest of the gospel, Jesus goes on to Jerusalem. He's crucified on the third day. God raises him from the dead. The resurrected Jesus, God in the flesh, appears to his disciples, and he leaves them with some instructions on how they are to continue. And churches, we're thinking through this this morning. I want to finish here. I want to close this with a simple thought. It is no accident that Matthew ends his gospel with the exact words that he does. Jesus says, and remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Church, the message this morning is simple. Jesus is with us. So let's go be his disciples this week.